It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. Oh. Three, two, one. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spear Talk. And today, once again, I believe third or fourth time, we welcome uh, Lieutenant John Norris, retired a retired game warden, author, podcaster, uh, filmmaker, uh, <laughs> just outdoorsman, hunter, everything about you is awesome. John, great to have you back on the show. Man, John, it's good to be back. It's been a minute. It has, man. And uh, I want to start by saying, when you came out to a Shinedown show in uh, Washington State uh, earlier this year, you brought out these awesome uh, knives. And obviously, I know we've talked about your knives before, but every time me, Barry, or like Eric, or even Zach – will post or talk about this knife. The first thing is like, who the hell is John Norris? And why, <laughs> how, or why, when, when do we get these access to them? So you've only made six of these yeah. and it is, I know me and Barry carry ours all the time. Uh, but I will say it's the most handy, practical, awesome knife I've ever owned. And uh, let's start, let's maybe start off here. Let's like, talk about your relationship with the knife company and what you got coming down the line. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, everything with, um, with product branding and the people I'm associated with, and you know this from all the partnerships you and I have and the Shinedown guys, it's all about good relationships, not just good products. And I got to give a big shout out to Mike Bellacamp, who is also a thrash metal musician, writing an album, been in bands for years. He's a music guy like we all are. 2A guy, conservationist, pro thin green line. And I, I just feel really blessed, John, that I was introduced to Mike literally a week after I retired at the end of 2018. And at that point, you know, I wasn't on social media. I mean, I obviously had some outreach background, but I was under agency umbrella. So, you know, I didn't have a big following or anything like that. And John's like, Mike's like, who, who is this guy? Oh, he's a game warden, but he's special ops and built a cartel team. And, oh, wait a minute, he, you know, he sings in a band, blah, blah, blah. And he said, tell you what, man, let's go with it. Let me be your guy, merge with me and we'll make your signature blade and um, be a brand ambassador for me and, you know, market all my products and really use them hard in the field. And that was a real great opportunity. And Mike, you know, started um, the Spiderco company. He ran the factory in Golden, Colorado in the early 90s uh, while he was also in a cover band when, you know, he was in his, you know, late, late teens, early 20s. So he's been building great knives forever. And then he finally got his own brand three years ago, four years ago now. So V Knives is who we are. Um, the Thin Green Line Trailblazer folder that you have, um, that I carry every day. That was really the knife we designed to be the knife I could never have in 30 years of operations because it has everything we want on it, right? <laughs> and and you know, it's got a lot of things and I'm just going to say it real quick, but it's got a glass breaker, you know, seatbelt harness cutter. It's got a, you can do a non-serrated blade for those of us that hunt and fish. And we definitely have some conservationists in our circle with you and Barry and, you know, Eric and Zach and everybody. Um, so yeah, it's just been a really good blade. It's our best seller. We're in our second run of them right now and about to run out of our second 1500 knives. 
And the one we did, um, even though you guys were carrying some of the other blades beforehand, Mike was really, really supportive of all the good things you and Shinedown are doing on the environmental conservation front. You know, uh, reforestation, national tree considerations, uh, Barry, especially after being on our podcast and you and I talking to him on your platform, um, there's a lot of just love for wildlife, wildlands and waterways with that band and just for overall good humanity, man. And I think that's what makes um, our Shinedown Brothers so special. Besides the incredible inspirational music is what they stand for personally. And you just don't see that all the time. So that's really resonated with us and it resonated with Mike to say, heck yeah, what do you want to do? I said, I want to make a special run of Planet Zero tour knives before i get to this show with these guys we're not it's not for marketing we're not trying to sell any of them i just want special ones for the four band members brother john and myself and so we we only have those six and as you know we've had a lot of requests for them but i made it really clear to people hey guys these might not ever be marketable so let's not go there but if you want a, a personal blade we'll set you up we do free laser engraving and we've done a lot for conservation groups like ducks unlimited law enforcement f-15 isis fighter you know killer uh, uh crews overseas um anti-child abuse foundations. I mean, you name it, we do all the engraving for. So it's been really, really cool working with V-Knives and the fixed blades, my line of fixed blades, and there's uh, three different ones that are dropping in about a month are, are right around the corner. And I've got some uh, to show you here if you want to indulge for a oh, second. For sure. So that's the uh, Trailblazer. Oh, hell yeah. Full-size survival knife. This is the black handle and right along the serration right there on the, on the streamliners um, on the scales is the thin green line color, but your uh, basically your hilt right there, you know, and your driver is a quarter inch driver for tools. And you'll have tools like Allen wrenches, screwdrivers, et cetera, like that. And it's also an impact point for, you know, anything defensive, um, a bigger version of our folding blade. So it's very durable D2 steel. You can chop, you can cut, you can build lean twos. It's got it all. And it's built ergonomically really nice. And in our injection molded sheath that has this adapter on the back, John, which is gonna be bitching on a pack, on a belt, on a molly carrier whatever. And what we have is right in there, if you can just see it, that's yep. a proprietary 17 degree angle. Oh, awesome. Sharpener. So you're sharpening not only your, your uh, you know, your fixed blade trailblazer folder, but you're doing your, your trailblazer folder, the fixed blade, other brand knives, um, you name it. And then of course we had to do the, the OD green handled, you know, for our operator guys and our met guys and team guys like I, you know, I would work with um, just a different color, but same blade. And that was going to be the next drop, but due to demand from the folding blade, especially from law enforcement and military guys and first responders, they said, hey, can you make a small fixed blade that's like a oh shit knife, a last yeah. go to it, whether it's in the ballistic vest, it's on a, you know, up on an ankle, somewhere hidden on your ballistic belt or your battle belt. So we came up with the Delta fixed blade. And oh, look at that thing. Yeah, Delta is basically named after our sniper unit that we built for Met. And these scales, the thin green line scales, come off with a T8, a little uh, T8 hex um, Torx wrench. And this is a skeletonized handle underneath um, that you can wrap 550 cord on. But essentially, it's like a small blade version of the Trailblazer folder you've got, but um, non-serrated. So skinning, gutting, defensive, whatever you need. Um, just a really, really lightweight little knife. And on the injection molded sheath, now this one has been painted. It's my, one of my only two prototypes. They're going to come in black, but we camoed them out for our tack use for recent filming and testing. But again, vacuum-induced Kydex, same molly carrier on the back that you can adjust. 
And these things are small. And I have done some posts where, you know, those high lakes we talk about, my little secret holes of going through trout. Um, I'm planning to field dress the first whitetail buck we get down. We're in the middle of hunting season. It just started last weekend. But that was an unplanned knife. And I've got more back orders for that knife than anything on the planet because it's just that size that everybody likes. So I'm glad we got the demand because we might not have offered that yet. So that's what's happening next, along with on your folder that the, the folding trailblazer that has a thin green line runner that I gave you guys. And then the OD green version that has just the black runner. We're doing a thin blue line and a thin red line. Awesome. Those are going to drop with my fixed blade. So all of our firefighter buddies have been hitting me up since the first version dropped a lot of thin blue line brothers and sisters and, you know, uh, traditional law enforcement agencies. I, I'm going to, I'm going to have those shortly as well. So, and more, more thin green line series and the trailblazer, the trailblazer line of cutting products is going to continue to grow. And we have stuff that are not going to be uh, knives and blades. They're going to be other type of tools that I'll talk a little more about later, but we're, we're expanding that trailblazer thin green line to really good stuff that making it the way we need to make it that I never right. had, you know, in 30 years of operation. So very fortunate, having a lot of fun with it and very grateful for all you guys for supporting it, man. Oh, it's, it. uh, it's fun. Just, it's just a cool thing to have in your hand. It's like, well, those things where I, I guess growing up, I never realized that like my, my grandparents always had that box cutter or something in their pocket yeah, where it's like, yeah, yeah. if they're going to cut something or someone, they're going to use it. But as I get older, I was kind of like, I never usually carried knives. It wasn't until I started getting on the road where obviously, you know, with gun laws and stuff, it's sure I can carry it certain places, but if I can't carry these different, these areas or countries, a knife is the next best thing. And so me finding it comfortable with a knife is now I can't go anywhere without it. And uh, again, it's, it's cool seeing the viewers we have uh, and some of the, mostly a lot of the females where my misconception was girls are carrying knives. I don't mean right. that as a, a, an attack on females, but it's like, why are you carrying a knife? And it's like, but then I started realizing some of my, my favorite followers, supporters like Jill, who's a farmer in New York and Stacy, who's doing this stuff, this, this really cool craft stuff. They're carrying knives. It's like yeah. a knife can bring all sorts of people together, especially if you respect it. It's starting at a young age. Like when I have kids, hopefully down the line, it's like respect the knife. And it's yeah. like, it's such a great tool to have. No, you hit it on the head, brother. And I got to give you a big thanks because Jill and, and Stacy and Sonny and, and several uh, oh, yeah. followers, now we're all following each other and they've actually bought trailblazer folders. And what's ironic, and we never saw this coming when you mentioned, you know, women not normally having knives. One of our biggest customers for the trailblazer folder are either guys buying them for their ladies right, women directly, and they're putting them in the car primarily because it's got that glass breaker. That's yep. so small. If they're trapped in a vehicle and they got to get their kids out, or they got to cut a seatbelt without cutting their body from the blade with that that seatbelt harness, I had no idea. And it's it's an honor for somebody like Jill on a farm running a farm by herself, at running that trailblazer, just beating it up. You know, and I get pictures from the ladies and yep. hey man, there it is, and it's dirty, and you know, just it's really cool to see, man. It's really cool. So thank you for that. It's one of the things too about knives is maybe you can you know, kind of while you talk about this when people get firearms and stuff the best way to train to handle different conditions and stuff would are you when someone gets a knife to, or, or for them to get comfortable using a knife as opposed to say a firearm what are some stuff that people could do to get comfortable whether it's deploying at night or deploying in weird situations or because your knife if you gotta if you're in a car cracks you gotta be able to get this ready to go cut the seatbelt or break the glass or obviously there's different scenarios where you have to use a knife and it's like how do you, how does someone trade with it after you're comfortable with it? Is this just basically carry around when you go to the grocery store or the post office, play with it? Like, how do you suggest someone gets comfortable with a specific knife for them? 
You know, one of the things to do is, is just be really proficient in deploying it. And you said it best when you said it's one thing we train heavily on firearms. Let's take like a carbine, an AR platform, you know, you, yes. you know, the Western rifle system, right? You know, how to do those mag changes, how to activate the charging handle, how to clear malfunction, how to, you know, make sure the magazine is set, charge, safety set, uh, you know, resetting the trigger, all those muscle mechanics. We do thousands of reps when I'm teaching a firearms class. You know, you don't have to do as much with a blade, but you got to do quite a bit. A lot of people like with the trailblazer folders, you know, they look at that and they go, okay, it's not spring assisted, but the blade comes out so dang quick. How do I load up on it? You know, so I send out a little 15 second video. I've said, just practice getting it in your hand, whether you're support hand, left-handed, right-handed, whatever you are, and get up and load up on that cam on basically that actuator and press into the bottom of the blade at like a 45 degree angle and just practice it a lot. And, um, you know, smaller framed hands, some women especially hit it and it doesn't quite come out all the way and they're worried they're going to get cut and it's just getting that familiarity and just practicing. So I'm practicing with mine all the time. I mean, it's just kind of a, a little right. fidget option where you're pulling it, you're clicking it, you have it out. Um, where do you want it in the hand? Or, you know, are you doing a downward cut? Are you like cutting an animal, doing a skinning? Or are you reversing it that you might have to do stabbing defense? And I'm not an advocate of saying, hey, you know, everybody start learning your own technique to go use your knife for, you know, life defense. But there are really good blade defensive classes. Um, and I do a little bit of that with some of my firearms classes, especially when I pair the blade with any type of firearm system I'm, I'm training to. If I'm training Glock shooters or SIG shooters or carbine shooters or both and say they're carrying the trailblazer, we're going to talk about deployments of how to do that. And personal weapons, when if you come in and you're disarmed, uh, you know, and you're coming in on a personal attack and it's a life or death situation, you in certain situations are authorized to use a blade, which is deadly force because of obviously the lethality of a blade like the trailblazer, some of these defensive minded blades, you know, that aren't just utility blades. And we had to make our knife because it's a law enforcement blade as well. It has to be capable of, of getting somebody out of right. a scrape from, from an evil wolf, you know? So it's just practice repetition and also the mindset of working yourself through scenarios. Like I'm walking through my door right now into the house and I don't know it, but there's a tacker around the corner 10 feet that, you know, has broken in 20 minutes ago and I've got my blade in my pocket. What am I going to do? I'm going to get some distance. I'm going to pull that blade. Cause maybe I don't, I don't have a firearm. I don't have a CCW in my purse. Let's say if I'm a lady walking into my house, I'm going to deploy the blade. And how am I going to set up in a defensive situation? Well, if, can I call nine one safely? If I can't, if I have to use the blade to defend myself and buy some time, get the threat off me, if I'm being physically attacked, what position am I going to be in? Where's that blade going to be in my hand? All those different things come from mental preparation and then working through it just like just like a band rehearsal, man, right. <laughs> you know, or just like a drill practice when I'm running drills or we're, we're going to run a we're operational mission, we're going to set up and we're going to prep for that mission. It's the same way. And 90% of that fight is all just in the mind and working through the muscle memory control in hopes that you never have to use that. And nine times out of 10, you're never going to have to use that because you're prepared. Right. The, uh, one of the things, a lot of the crew guys or, uh, some of the band guys that shine down always laugh. Our backstage guests, I don't, I don't have a lot of guests back. They're usually family or work people. But when they when they see someone like you or like a Ray Livingston or like a Donnie Dust or Wade Saunders and some of those guys from the uh, Northwoods Law that have come out to the shows recently, they're always just like, "Oh, that's a John and Barry guest." Because it's like everyone kind of looks the same. <laughs> they look like they they look like they're pro Second Amendment. They look like they're law abiding citizens. They look like they're hunters. They're conservationists. They're outdoorsmen. They're survivalists, and 
I, I, every time I step back, I'm like, dude, these these are the people that are salt of the earth. It's like everyone gravitates to those type of people because I think there is something to people who are grounded in the outdoors, yeah. uh, grounded in just where they're just like, there's no ego and there's no like, they're pro country, they're pro survive, they're just pro like life, and it's it's so cool. I know we had uh, Wayne out there uh, in New Hampshire a couple yeah. weeks ago. Um, just so cool talking to him. That's my first time meeting him right. in person. And um, just an awesome guy. It's like all the game warden people I know, there's three or four, but you you two are the, the most, my most people I actually talk to all the time. Right. And uh, I'm, just, I'm just blown away because it's like these people care about what they do with the lives they're trying to affect. And again, man, I just can't thank you and people like yourself and Wade and all these guys, survivalists, it just – they, it's so cool to talk to them because you know they're actively trying to change the world for the better, and specifically as it comes to the environment. And again, thank you so much for just doing what you do. Oh, thanks, man. No, I'm, I'm honored, man. And, and thank you for the support. And, you know, it's interesting when you say that, but yeah, I mean, obviously you and I and Barry were already really good friends. Right. I went to the first show and I want to go back memory lane and just talk about that a little bit because it was so crazy to like feel like I've known Barry and you for so many years because we had so many good discussions through the COVID lockdown, right? COVID, baby. It was text messages and phone calls and just this Zoom thing. And then all of a sudden we get to the war field on the very first Planet Zero launch, you know, small show um, in San Francisco in my old home area. And I've seen tons of shows at the war field. And I'm like, man, I'm finally going to meet these guys in person. And we're going to see some of the Planet Zero stuff and meet the rest of the band. And um, it was like old homecoming week, man. I remember sitting down at dinner backstage before the show and with you and Eric and Barry and we're all planted right there and it's all about like oh man so uh what are you doing for water treatment and you know um if the grid goes <laughs> down and you don't have power how are you gonna get water out of your well and Eric and I are having this dialogue about how remote I live here in Montana he's over there in the Carolinas on his new place you know and Barry's talking about well I'm kind of in the suburbs but I'm looking for alternatives and we're talking about, you know, backup hand pumps, you know, when you don't have power to get water out of this great well that you have, that's that, you know, you could live off grid forever. Um, and then just kind of salt of the earth conversations, you know, realizing that our band brothers are wired just like us for environment, very down to earth. Um, and then, you know, having the musical thing, being in a cover band myself and being a big Shinedown fan and all these other rock bands that you actually, you know, provide protection for that come from our era, you know, those 80s and 90s bands. It's just been a real, real good merger to see um, that mindset, you know, and that ethos. And what's so cool is when we bring the music world into environmental protection and public protection and just, you know, getting community together as opposed to all the polarization we've had, you know, through COVID, where we're at politically right now, where we're at geopolitically with the rest of the world. It's some scary ass times. Yeah. And one thing you and Shinedown and uh, all of us, especially in the game we're in front are about is, it's that wildlife, wildlands, waterway protection for the sake of the nation, you know, in the world. Um, but it's also just embracing your fellow man and, and, and woman and, and being a community, you know, and agreeing to disagree. And that, that's what I like so much about when we all come together and the reach a band like Shinedown has, you know, doing so well, especially with Planet Zero. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know, and I know this is cliche because we're hearing it all the time and I compliment the guys, but a song like Daylight. You know, when they launched that, the first night they launched that publicly was the second show was at Spokane at the first arena show. Yeah. And we were with you guys again. And when they launched it, dude, I was floored. I mean, I was choked up. The people I were with were the same way. And I went, okay, 
that just that song right there is a change the world song it could not have been more timely and that's when i was really getting to know eric and knowing what he put into that song you know and where it came from um and when when you know when brett complimented him so well on stage i went okay this is the message we got to get out as far and wide it doesn't matter if you're a rock and roll musician a race car driver a movie star you know um a game warden whatever the case may be you got to use your powers for good. And that's what we're all trying to do. And you're doing a great job of it, brother. I got to give you a big shout out for this podcast platform because the diversity is so cool and people are so like-minded, but it's so entertaining at the same time that we're not just going down the same rabbit hole every time. So um, I think we're all a great team. And I think we just got to stay together and, and be around more people like the groups we're building. And I'm, I'm very blessed and grateful to have every right. part of the circle, man. It's cool. When it comes to, I know this is kind of a hot topic lately with like the gas and oil and stuff, but when it comes to touring, I've seen a lot of groups or these are minority fridge groups that are very, you're destroying the environment with oil. It's like, I get how bands have to, trucks have to get from one place to another with fuel. Like you, you need right. fuel to do what they do. There's no, there's no solar power. There's no battery power trucks or buses that can do what they, these trucks do with gas. And it's, it's always so fascinating to me when people are like, Oh, look, they just don't care about gas or all this stuff. Oh, Dave Matthews is so anti. That guy plants more trees than any artist in the, in the world every yeah. year through his initiatives. Uh, even on days off, it's like we get so grounded where it's let's go hike or go fly fish or let's let's get back to the environment, whether it's – I mean, I've been in different forests all across the, the world with artists and band, people. I'm just like people want to do with this – whatever the small thing they do to make a change that's positive, they're going to do that. And I just I just hate when I see these groups. They're just like, oh, band shoot a tour or fly around or yeah. – uh, it's just for me. It's like so people do care, and it's like we don't put enough put enough eyes or voice like stuff on those people that actually care enough and are trying to make a change. And it's like if I can go outside or if I'm walking down a dirt path, like the last time we we're I think Saskatoon with Barry, we're fishing. Me, Sanjay, Ricky's out there, and we're not catching much, but we're having a good time. But yeah. before we leave, we're picking up empty beer cans yep. and gum wrappers that people left behind and it's little things like that a lot of artists and people that they are doing that and it's like don't knock them for using gas to get to a show because they're using that gas when they play that song daylight it's going to save a life that night and i think that's more important than us fighting over what oil and all that shit well i, I think you're you're 100 and let, let's go let's go to the you know you bring up a great great point john on this fossil fuel thing and this is an issue right now that I've had so many discussions with so many personalities um, on just the balance of the whole situation. Okay. I get that fossil fuels are doing damage to the globe, but the idea that we're suddenly going to go green and we're going to battery operate everything is not only totally, you know, preposterous because it can't happen because you can't push big vehicles, but people don't realize how much fossil fuel is burned to make a lithium battery. <laughs> You know, I mean, we do more damage making all of these batteries because we're trying to go extreme. It's like, look at hybrids. We have hybrids. We're using less fossil fuel. We're getting better mileage as gas prices go up. We're, we're less fossil fuels. Um, it's a worldwide issue, not just a U.S. issue. And there has to be balance. And you're right. Um, we're not going to get a supply chain continuing through America on electric you know, 18 wheelers. It's yeah. not going to work. We don't have that technology. We're not going to get you guys to shows. You know, it's not going to work. Um, half the stuff. And, and I look at this from a survival standpoint and, you know, you and me and Barry and Eric talked about this. I remember specifically at the Warfield show. Um, I said, guys, here's the thing. 
we still got to look at the situation we're in nationally. And I don't want to go dark, but I'm a realist, right? Especially with the background I've been involved in is we had one global pandemic that was like a shot across the bow. It was like a test phase. Yeah. If we have another worse pandemic or we have an economic collapse with what we're looking at right now with inflation, with the current geopolitical demographics, heaven forbid we, we get in a world war, which, you know, I hate to say it, is looking scary and I'm hoping for the best, but we are preparing for the worst brother. When you start looking at that, do you want to be mandated to an electric vehicle that is charged to go maybe a hundred miles and now the grid is down and you yeah. can't get out. You can't escape a problem. Now it's like an EMP went off without an EMP even going off because you're relying on a battery charged vehicle that cannot go that far. It cannot sustain. So from a survival standpoint, it doesn't even make sense on that level. I like hybrids. I like balance. I think we need to reduce the amount of fossil fuels we use, but not to the point where we start decimating relationships, communities, and then we start polarizing relationships and uh, politics. And that's where we are on the fossil fuel issue. We have hard left hating the right, right. because we still think that total <laughs> electric power is not viable. And we've, you know, scientifically, we've proven that right now with our technology. But there it is. So I agree. I think it's it's such you know a, a, an erroneous opinion to badmouth a band for touring and using fossil fuels for doing the good work they do. When you guys, with your reach, with your options, with your resources, are doing a lot for the environment. I mean, and Shinedown's one example, you know, of doing some really good stuff. Not only professionally, but personally, all the guys preach it too. So. Um, to your point, yeah, there needs to be balance on that. Uh, I, I wasn't going to bring that topic up today, but I've had that, this conversation on this very issue probably 20 times in the last month, brother, with a lot of our mutual friends and other people. You know, it's just, it's it's really a polarizing issue and we got to be reasonable about it. Well, it's, the reason why I think it's important is because say you take like a, I, I'm not knocking Tesla because I actually, I actually like some of the stuff Elon's doing and he's at least thinking bigger. But when it comes to, he's yet to figure out a way to, like dispose of these batteries that people, when they get old, you can't just, you can't get, people are throwing the yards. It's destroying yes. the soil. It's like all this technology, while the ideas are great to maybe think green and do it, but you, how do you get rid of those batteries without throwing them in the, the contaminating soils and waters or. Yep. I, we, I've been, I've done more fishing the last six months with Barry Kirch than I've done yeah. my entire life. And the one thing we always see in the water is a freaking face mask or I mean, yeah. obviously you see all the trash and it's like all these ideas to help the greater good. I'm all for it. But when it comes time to change over or throw away, like no one's the problem is actually greater now because you're throwing more shit in the waters or yeah. fields or that. No, it's just, it's mind boggling to me, the whole thing. Yeah. We're not following through, you know, no. we get on one, we get on one tangent where we think we're, you know, holier than thou and doing some environmental purity. And then, like you said, you know, we wore these masks, which everybody now, you know, now everyone's saying, Oh, we were wrong. Sorry. You know, it's not helping. No. And now they're polluting waterways. That's a perfect example. Um, and people going out into the woods and uh, you know, we, we talked about, I know we talked about this backstage at both shows, but I said, you know, that the thing right now that's happening, the only good thing out of the whole pandemic is that more people are getting into the outdoors, you know, just to get their mental health, just to get out of depression, yes. just to not even contemplate suicide or drug addiction or yep. alcohol abuse, right? Because that lockdown was so debilitating. Um, so we had all these people flood the woods, which was great. 
you know, the year, I think 2020 from like March to about August, we had like a 30, 40% increase in hunter education, online classes, hunter education certificate, non-hunters, non-gun users, actually anti-gun hard criticisms of 2A type folks were suddenly, uh-oh, hmm. I think I need a firearm. I think I need to learn how to use it. I think I might have to, you know, subsistence hunt for my family. So now they're getting firearms and they're trying to find training classes. And, you know, I'm getting calls from people all over the country. Hey, can you do a class and blah, 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 do a hunting prep class. Whoa. You know, let's see what we got, we got going here, but all those things happening, you know, we're good to get everybody out there, but what, what also comes with that is what you guys, you and Barry are seeing in these lakes and streams. And I'm seeing it even in some of the, uh, some of the wilderness high lakes that I'm so close to that I guard, you know, with my life because they're so pristine because so few people go there. And you start to see, you know, tons of monofilament or masks and, you know, maybe a beer can or someone had a pit fire and they blew up a bunch right. of glass. And, you know, nothing irritates me more than that when those little sanctuary spots that are so good for mental health and for our environment and for conservation start to get, you know, polluted and diluted. And that's just us not following through, you know, as a community and everybody just has to do their part, you know, pack it in, pack it out. Uh, I mean, when you really look at the demographics on how many people put on a backpack and go in and camp out for five nights, say six days in a wilderness area, um, not a lot of people do that. You know, that's a very right. small, small demographic of people that go out to the outdoors for half a day or they go fish for a day on a river or i just hit the local river versus going overnight backpacking um but you see those backpackers that are going in hardcore are really dedicated to it they're not leaving their crap out there right you know they got to live everything on their back and they're still bringing out a couple pounds of trash that they're going to generate all all week you know that mindset has to transcend to anybody going out there because all that relief all that, you know, encouragement, uh, that confidence boost, that that hope for the future, you know, that we weren't having a whole lot of when the pandemic dropped, that everyone derived from going into the outdoors. Why are we going to, you know, punish that blessing by polluting what just gave us, you know, the joy and the, and the solace to to get through, you know, a really, really trying time. So your point's spot on. And we, we just need to address that. And I think the environment, man, gets talked about like a buzzword a lot. But when we talk about the hidden war and the cartel fight and all the different things you and I have kind of met over with the Joe Rogan podcast, um, we have very, very short memories, you know, and I've been pushing some of these issues to be more important on the national scope of priorities because the country isn't seeing the, you know, the ramifications of polluting streams when you go out for a day, what the cartels are doing to waterways, what they're doing to our children with fentanyl, what they're doing with human trafficking, all these dark subjects that are right in our backyard. You know, it's not a Russian threat, a China threat, what's going on in the Ukraine. It's none of that. It's what's happening right in our backyard and the environments that, you know, at stake. And so is our public safety and, and health, especially for our kids. And that's the bandwagon I'm on. And that's what we're all part of as, you know, good human beings trying to work as a community. And we're putting it out in our music as well. Right. And we need to keep doing it. The, uh, Another hot button topic, and I swear this is the last one, but now that you're on here, I, I, I want to ask this question. Let's throw it. Obviously, you and I both agree, and I think majority of the people in any country agrees that open borders aren't the, the best solution, at least right. the problems. So my question for you is, with the last couple of years, with the the, chain, the shift in open border, whatever, how has that affected like teams like your Met teams and game wardens in those border areas where – now nothing's stopping these people from maybe bringing drugs in or human trafficking. Like how much, how much added workload has this added to your, 
teams of game wardens and those tactical teams that are already short staffed? Great question. And the answer uh, in a nutshell is exponentially. It has increased the problem. Um, When I go back to right when I retired, you know, I started, we started the thin green line film series for recoil TV and recoil magazine. They're part of the publishing brand that, you know, caribou Afghan digest did the hidden war book. Um, and I was down on the Southern border now a civilian sort of recently retired. And that's when, you know, we still had the previous administration. We were still building a border wall. We were still looking at legitimate immigration and never, and we're never saying an anti-immigration message on any way. We want good immigration. We want the melting pot that the U S is about. I don't care where you come from, man. If you're part of the system and you're part of a good community, you're my neighbor. Let's do this. Yeah. Love side by side. But when I was down there, John, in 2019, actually it was 2020. It was right before COVID dropped. And we're chasing big out ad rams, you know, doing the long range hunting thing on a 55,000 acre ranch in Southwest Texas on the unprotected Mexican border with a cartel run town right across the border. The Rio Grande River was not a river, buddy. It was a creek. You and Barry and I couldn't even fish. It didn't have enough water in it. You walked across it. It was ankle high. So this is when the wall was being built. There was a big push from the previous administration to increase border protection and then, you know, let legitimate immigration continue and polish that system however we needed to. And while we were on this ranch, in one section of the ranch, in a whole other section of the ranch, border agents are on ATVs and on foot with their helicopter running down human traffickers and meth and cannabis traffickers that had the 100-pound bindles of toxically Jeez. painted cannabis, just like we fight and talk about in Hidmore, you know, in California and the other states. Um, they had, you know, uh, white dope and narcotics, and they were trafficking people. And then we tripped a sensor hunting on the other side of the ranch. So now the Border Patrol helicopter intercepts us. And I get to talk to that pilot and he go, and he said, dude, I've heard about the book. I'm glad we're meeting and this and that and what you're doing, blah, blah, blah. But it is a, it is a shit show down here. Pardon my French, no pun intended. Yeah. He goes, little Alpine County here in Texas, the numbers of tainted weed, white dope, meth, fentanyl, you name it. And the amount of people and border trafficking of humans and children and what the cartels are bringing through for operatives is off the charts. And that's when we had a protected border. Now, fast forward to the new administration coming in, the wall starts getting torn down. Everything's opened under Title 42. We've been, you know, reporting on that. And now it is a free for all. You know, the cartels don't even have to put money into getting their people across. They can get people across easily by just flooding and distracting, you know, everybody flooding the border and then work their mules and traffickers in different places where there's no border protection attention. And I talk to border agents I work with all the time, and they're just like, we are, we're not even holding back a tide. We're just doing the best we can for human safety. You know, we're helping both, you know, some of these, these immigrants that are being trafficked across and being left for dead, dehydrated, whatever the case may be, murdered, raped, all these different things. Um, I think about my Met team brothers that I just, just recently conversed with and they're under the same boat. And what we're seeing now, and it's kind of a good segue into the trends of the hidden war and all the outdoor, you know, environmental crime from the cartels on, a, on an open border all over California. Now it's gone onto private land in plain sight. And because there's such a flood of cartel operatives to operate freely in not only California, but every state in the nation, and they're very comfortable and confident doing that under the current administration and the lack of law enforcement pressure that our guys are just playing whack-a-mole and they're fighting an uphill battle. They really are. They're barely making a dent. And, you know, I recently co-hosted a Daily Caller documentary called Narcofornia. 
and with with uh, Jorge Ventura, who is a lead reporter. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, he's he's pretty graphic. Yeah, uh, he's up and coming. Um, he's doing some really really good stuff on the border, especially. He's down there reporting on that thing daily, and it's a it's a nightmare seeing what he sees. But what we learned in that, and I had been three years out of the field of doing the work with my old teammates, and here we are in Siskiyou County which is the most remote pristine county left with Mount Shasta right above it, Oregon border in Northern California. And we're watching not only the Mexican cartels, but the, the Mongs and the Chinese cartels who have come from Minnesota, Wisconsin, moved into Northern California and basically just said, hey, under the current administration and the new cannabis regulation laws, we're going to go for it. We're going to own this county. And dude, they are. Jeez. And the water stealing the uh, amount of tainted weed going back to where you're at right now, uh, what the what the Mexican cartoons are, are doing public, they're still in the public land outdoors, not as much in the forest, but now they're just I mean, tens of thousands of these operations everywhere. And I was blown away by how blatant these guys were running these operations and running 21 foot U-Haul trucks all day long, starting, you know, in, in uh, the Shasta Valley and just working their way out of state and there's nobody stopping them and the water pollution the poisoning the animal cruelty john i cannot believe the amount of dogs they bring out to guard these private grows and then if the dog doesn't work correctly they're cutting on its neck they're cutting on its genitals we found dogs and a rehab center up there we didn't even know about that ended up being a focus of some filming with our with some uh interviews and seeing some of these dogs coming into rehab centers <clears throat> that I wanted to go maniacal and find out who did that, man. Cause we're all dog lovers. Yeah, of course, you know, Eric and Barry and me, we all lost our pups this year. You know, I mean, we lost family members, you know, Zach just lost he, his too. What's that? Zach lost his two days oh, ago. I did not know that man. Yep. Oh, I'm going to have to, yep. I'm going to have to give him some love for that, man. That's, yep. that's hard. You know, they're family members. And we think about canine Phoebe and those bite dogs that were saved our yep. lives many times losing her. I still choke up when I talk about her, but bottom line is, all this is going on and it's going on without any type of hindrance or deterrence whatsoever. And when that happens in America, especially in my old home state of the golden state of California, and that's what it's become. I couldn't believe I was in California. I couldn't believe I was in a state that I had worked 28 years to protect the environment. And now I'm back in NorCal and I didn't recognize what I was seeing. I go, this is, this feels like a third world country the way these guys are running their shanty towns and the way they're stealing water and digging illegal wells and, you know, going into the city of Doris and tapping into their 50,000 gallon, yeah. you know, water tank for a city, right. And running water trucks with impunity in the middle of the night and draining that for freaking tainted weed for the black market. And there's just not enough law enforcement, you know, in that group to deal with it. But that was just one example of the whole country of what these cartels have kind of taken on because of lack of border protection, lack of a national priority, like this is even an issue. And, you know, this is a very extreme statement to say, but I look at our current administration and go, okay, it doesn't matter what you say because actions versus words always Correct. dictate what true intentions are, right? And you and I in our business, we hear so many people blowing fluff up our you-know-whats and oh. talking, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And, you know, I'm a man of action and I don't say it if I don't mean it. And you're the same way. And I've heard so much, you know, blanket press statements of how this stuff is getting washed and watered down. But you look at policy for this not to be a national priority and a domestic terrorist concern where we're fighting it as domestic terrorism is a travesty. 
and you talk to any border agent, you talk to any sheriff, you talk to any game warden, um, you talk to anyone that's lost, you know, their 15 year old teenager to a purple fentanyl pill that looks like a Skittle that's made to target our kids. And we will talk about that in the call sign trailblazer documentary that's in the edit right now um, on, on the other documentary we're doing, but it, it just, man, it just breaks my heart. And we just need to refocus people's priorities, you know, nationally. And that's starting to happen. Now, not only on the right side, but a, a lot of our Democrats on our left and without getting too political, everyone's just getting fed up with the lack of safety and the lack of concern for what we're doing within our own borders, much less abroad. And, and that is encouraging for what we might see the next couple of years, because I think it's a make or break time for our country. And, I, and that is not an exaggeration. Well, and to your point, like I know Governor Newsom in California is pushing no, no all green cars by 2026 right. or whatever. But here's the thing. OK, and then we've talked about if you're going to do that, but what's this can't be an overnight thing. What are we doing? What's the that same state does not care that these people are illegally these there drug dealers are contaminating the soils killing animals it's like if you want to be greed and pro-environment you have to be pro of every way around you just can't right. pick and choose oh you want less greed you want more green cars on the highway well okay the trade-off will be let's kill more vegetation let's destroy more soil let's get more it's it's just so fascinating to me that people can pick and choose a concept of conservation which should be a universally no matter what side you're on be pro be pro-environment, be pro-conservation. And it's just weird how they just, they don't talk about those things you're talking about. They don't talk about no. the, the desecration to land. And again, if you're going to be so, it, it you worry about our own country first before we start telling other countries what to do with their gas or, yeah. hey, you can't cut down this yeah. forest. Or it just, it, it's mind-boggling to me that not enough people in those positions of power see the big picture here. No, you're spot on, brother. And I look at it this way. Whenever politics and personal agendas, greed, financial gain or whatever come into play, and when you're in a political position and that's how you're motivated, two things are going to happen. The public public's going to suffer and the environment's going to suffer. And that's the bottom line, because in one breath in California, as an example, we're, we're on second largest drought in a century. Water restrictions for everybody. Don't mow your lawns. Farmers in Siskiyou County, as an example, were on drought restrictions. They couldn't water their hay and alfalfa. They couldn't water their sheep and their horses. And their water table underground was being so lowered that their wells were drying up in Siskiyou County from all of the Asian and Chinese and Mexican cartel illegal grows. So in that same breath, while that is a big priority to conserve water from the governor's office, he's not sending help to Siskiyou County. He's not addressing that as a priority when they're the biggest water stealers and water polluters because cannabis and legitimate cannabis is on that agenda. Now, you can look at that anyway, but that's actions versus words. And so everybody is suffering and our environmental resources that I'm still deeply connected to in my old home state are suffering. And we we aired that out in Arcofornia pretty extensively, as you saw. Right, yeah. They didn't, they didn't hold, you know, when, when Sonny <laughs> yeah, Pasu, who's a great editor, he didn't hold back in that edit and Jorge didn't mess around, you know, and we, we had a lot of real good examples and um, we're going to continue to tell that story. And it's not to disparage anybody and it's not to attack anybody politically. It's like, look, man, this is a worldwide human issue. Nobody yep. wants to see this in any country. We don't want to see it in our state of California. We don't see it in Wisconsin, Michigan. We don't want to see it in Montana protect your country, be concerned about your people and be concerned about the country. And then we can believe in you. And that's 
just drive the bus with that intent and don't worry about your personal gain. You know, everything's going to fall into place. And that's not what's happening here, John, to your point. And that's why this, this uh, hidden war on my side of it is going to continue to be aired out, you know, and I'm going to drive that truck as far as the wheels fall yeah. off the electric truck. It might only go hundred miles. <laughs> yeah. You know, Hey, I'll walk from there. You and I grab a backpack with Barry and we'll just keep going. And yeah. Whatever. It's so, yeah, no, it is. It's exactly what's going on there. You hit it on the head. Um, but I am very, very optimistic because I've never seen such a, such a swing in the country demographic right now of everybody kind of meeting somewhere in the middle and COVID kind of started this with what we did right and what we did wrong through COVID and how we shut business down and crashed an economy. And now CDC and doctors and everybody are coming out and uh, brother Joe Rogan and Aaron Rodgers just had this conversation. Yeah, that's a good one. It was a great, when Joe said, you know, oh, sorry, we were wrong. Uh, you didn't need to close your businesses. You didn't need to wear masks all the time. You didn't need five booster shots, you know, for big pharma. You didn't need all this different stuff. And now we just tanked and now we're, you know, we're back up trying to play rebuild. And now how do you, you know, deal with those people that lost jobs that got, you know, disciplined because they wouldn't take a shot because they wouldn't do this. And now they're all being, you know, reparation pay and back pay. Yep. But look at all the law enforcement officers and the firefighters and game wardens that have left jobs that are so critical right now when we're at an all time low uh, of, of first responders in an all time high of threats to our, our domestic public. Um, and we did that through a pandemic and we better have learned what we did wrong so if this happens again or anything like it happens again, we address this a lot better. If we don't learn from our mistakes, we're just, you know, we're not, we're not doing anything but insanity, man. <laughs> we're, we're not correcting the mistake and reliving it. You, uh, we've talked about the pandemic, but you, you brought up a good point. When it comes to the water contamination or say maybe our power supply that it could be hacked or shut down and affect millions of people, obviously. But when it comes to the water, you look at like the Hoover Dam, the water issues you're dealing with there, it's lowering. And if that were to go down or whatever, you're you're shut down states, yep. Uber estates. It's like what is being done to protect our water sources in terms of that. If if you contaminate a large body of water like that, you're destroying millions and millions of acres of land, killing mm -hmm. people. It's like what is being done to stop? Because that could be the next pandemic, water source yeah. issues or power issues. It's like. It's it, like to our point, we've already discussed. It's like we focus on one thing, and it's like that COVID that was just a shot over the that was a tracer shot at night. That was just oh, yeah. making sure what's the next thing to hand because they know how high we're going to jump now when they tell us to jump. But yep. maybe let's hit water, let's hit power. Let's what else can we do to get mass groups of people together and just obey to what we're saying? Yeah, the biggest thing is just understanding that there's a real problem there, right? And understanding that when, you know, like say water restrictions in California, I'll use right. that as an example. I mean, there's a state that's hurting for water so much right now. They're looking at other states to get right. it. You know, LA, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> it's so much water from out of state in Northern California and things like that. Um, and if you're not really preparing on your own of having, you know, if you don't have your own well, uh, if you don't have your own water source, you got to push that we have good water in whatever state we're in and know that you may not get that right now because of the administration, because of what's going on, because of a bias, say, on a cannabis front and not attacking a particular problem like we're like the Siskiyou County example. Um, but you have to be outraged. I call water liquid gold, actual liquid platinum, man. It is the biggest commodity right now across the globe. 
you know, the world is changing, things are heating up, water sources are naturally going away. And, you know, you, everybody can argue what global warming is caused by if there is global warming. Regardless, without pushing, pointing any fingers, we know that water is depleting, right? Our glaciers are melting, the ice caps are melting, uh, you know, that water is going and being used, we're putting more people more animals on the planet to use water. So water needs to be a priority globally and overseas in some ways it certainly is. Um, but what's happening right in our country is super alarming. It's nothing you and I have seen in our lifetime. And I'm going to use California as an example. Um, it's strange. To, it, it, it's kind of ironic that California becomes kind of the litmus test for not only the country, but for the world with right. cannabis with water use, with water pollution, with drought control, and how those things uh, all affect a state like California that has so much attention on it, and yet so much of that's being done wrong. So other states, I say, look, don't take an example of how this was managed in the old state. Look at it differently and really make it a priority. You know, Really make water protection something that we're going after through um, the, the rural water groups that I speak with and uh, present to rural water associations and how they protect and purify and uh, get their water to use either for agriculture or for drinking, they are going to be really are, they're going to be the Achilles heel of kind of saving the country down the road. Because if the grid goes down and you don't have big city water supplies and, and that's, that will go down and that'll be the big cities will lose water first. And that's when people will need water the most. So that's going to be a very, very, uh, you know, volatile environment to be in, obviously. But I'm working with these national um, rural water commissions that are responsible for thousands of wells across the most, you know, rural parts of, say, Wisconsin or Iowa or, say, Northern California. And how they keep those wells intact, you know, and how they make sure those are maintainable and where they can really move water around if we lose power. That's what we need to look at nationally and make sure those are all intact and there's some redundancy with either generators, solar, whatever the case may be. Or like uh, we all talked about with Barry and Eric is having that hand pump man yep. on your well that can literally pump water from 300 feet below in a certain system. And ironically, those devices are out there and they can be put on large well systems in rural water or personal wells, but it's just something that's a little more of a cost. It usually has to go in when you dig a new well. Um, I did a lot of research after those conversations with our brothers, you know, at that first show in, at the Warfield in, in San Francisco. Um, and even on a build we have here on the compound, um, the, the newest and last uh, kind of development, if you will, for the structure and the new well that literally got capped last week has that backup on it. Um, and people have to look at being their own first responder. I talk about this in the new documentary that we're editing now, the Call Sign Trailblazer documentary. And without revealing too much, kind of at the end of that, you know, there's a lot of negative things we got to talk about in that. But always remember, I'm a half full glass kind of guy like you are. And I always want to look at solutions. And I'm optimistic for the future because I have a lot of faith in people. You know, I think at the yes. end of the day, before things get too terminal, I think we can we can write the ship. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing... Uh, and I'm going to you know, refer to Planet Zero and the message in that album again, right? There's two songs, uh, several songs on that album, but the ones that are my most favorite are the hopeful songs, you know, because we've seen the darkness. We got to identify the darkness. We can't ever belittle or negate the severity of that darkness. And we better learn from what we just went through because uh, we have very short memories as Americans because we have it so good in this country 
that we don't, you know, our history lessons are very short and then we forget history. So we need to be hopeful and we need to look at that moving forward and make sure we're, we're kind of set on where we're going to get our water if we're our own first responder and if we're just providing for our family or like I talk about is we can't look at this of just, and I know you and me and Barry had this conversation, especially on post-pandemic survival, like what if, you know, resources are so slight and people right. are for your canned goods in your basement do you get your ar do you defend it do you start sniping people <laughs> you don't ever want to do that you know and you want to you want to be able to protect yourself and you know hopefully have a small community you know that you can all be a force multiplier and everybody can play to their strengths and that's going to be the future man if we have any more of these situations and it's going to be water medical support medical supplies and food um and sadly there is going to be an element of wolves out there that are not going to be prepared. We see this in the cities. We're, we're still seeing it in the cities that got turned upside down, literally, and burned to the ground through the pandemics and the protests. Um, you're going to need to defend yourself, heaven forbid. And that only comes with being prepared with your firearms, with your knives, physical fitness, staying in shape, um, being able to endure hostile conditions, whether it's real hot, real cold, because you don't have heaters now, you don't have, you know, air conditioners, fire sources, water and food, um, prepare for the worst, you know, and probably expect the best. And, you know, there's a good chance none of this is going to happen again, but I'm, I'm a realist, you know, like we all are. Uh, and that's, that's where we need to, we need to look moving forward. And, and that can be by going to good classes that can be by surrounding yourself with the right type of like-minded good-hearted people um, bringing a skill set to the tribe if you will and knowing that you're probably going to do better outside of the big cities um, this is another discussion we all had with the boys yep. when we were all together backstage at, at a couple shows is i just like the fact that i mean i'm in cities a lot like you are our business takes us to big cities shine down or nickelback show or i've got a talk in silicon valley or la or something and and i like my time there and i don't like you know i don't dissuade the cities because there's an energy you know in cities there's an energy in the good stuff we put together through a big rock show or by putting a good you know film production on that's going to inspire people that's going to maybe change something for the better um but the bottom line is i don't want to make that i don't want to rest my head there just after what's happened. And that's one of the reasons, given the outdoor love and, and the, the need to get you know off the grid in big open spaces, why I'm in Montana full-time now. Um, and you guys all, you know, you live in rural communities and you're in the bush too, man. So um, more and more people are going that direction. I can't believe how many people are moving to the state of Montana are moving to like Tennessee or coming to Wyoming or, you know, some are still going out to Texas. They're finding these very, you know, conservation oriented, second amendment pro, uh, you know, community kind of American value, traditional value cities um, where they can breathe a little bit, but they know they have a, a better chance to last in a long, long time in a bad, bad situation because they're cut off a little bit. And I believe that's a good solution if, if people can go that direction if they want to. How did, like how often does her field when it comes to like uh, field survival, like injuries and stuff, is that New technology, how often is that coming into play in terms of trading and stuff like that? Or is it the basics are always going to stay in the test of time? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the basics are kind of consistent, but there are little tweaks. Like something I remember, anticoagulant, like the quick clot and the sea locks yep. poured into a wound. That was all really, really big in the early 2000s when the military was using that in the, you know, the global war on terror over yes. the sandbox in Afghanistan and Iraq. And I remember um, when we had our first gunfight and Kyle was shot. 
through both legs by an AK-47. And all I had was one Israeli bandage and a couple of four by fours. And we were totally ill-equipped for that mission because we didn't have any of that, you know, in the domestic law enforcement world, we didn't have the anticoagulant. We weren't running tourniquets at the time. I mean, we had a very rudimentary trauma response at the time. And now it's completely changed. Um, anticoagulants have gotten better and better and better every couple of years. How you use your tourniquet, how you use a second tourniquet, what we call a dirty, dirty tourniquet. It's not one tourniquet we have, we have two, you know, because self-care. The other thing that's really been a big push in the last five years, especially is, and we started this in our Met based on the special operations groups with the SEALs and, you know, MARSOC and the different army and, and the, the special forces is self-care. Like if I take a gunshot and I'm separated from, you know, a support rifleman or whatever, and we're in the battle or I'm by myself for even a you know couple seconds, if I can put a tourniquet on or if I can get an Israeli bandage on, you know, a, a break or a gunshot wound, um, if I can stop some of that essential bleeding out of arterial bleeding, especially, I'm going to have to do that if I can reach that on my kit. So it has changed. And every year you see it get a little more efficient, yeah. a little better, especially with gear. And it's not just the tourniquets. It's not just anticoagulant. It's like our plate carriers. Yep. Like we went to a first spear plate carrier back in, I want to say about 2014, 2015, right in the middle of the early days of the MET program. And those carriers, like if we take a shot underneath our level four plate, let's say, because there's a couple of vulnerable spots, we can just two quick tabs of 550 cord on a little fast text buckle. And that thing pops right off and we can get to our own wound or somebody can get to our wound. I mean, there's still plate carrier systems that are really good, but you got to unbuckle stuff and then yeah. you got to peel it, you know, and that's precious seconds. So we've learned time, you know, time is basically your enemy um, with tourniquets, with getting your plate carriers off. So all those different things are changing all the time. Um, the size of the medical supplies, the kits, where they're positioned. There's a company called Dark Angel that we went to. You see my friend Jack Carr talk about yep. him, uh, Mike Glover from uh, Fieldcraft Survival and what Mike's done with Fieldcraft Survival of some of the good tourniquet systems and deployable tourniquet holders. Um, all that is exponentially a gain because again, it's going to shave off those precious deadly seconds where time is your biggest enemy. Um, and the Dark Angel kits that we went to on the MET team that we continue to use are small, one Velcro tab on the top and you're, you know, you've got a tourniquet, you've got your Israeli bandage, you've got chest seals, you've got all the stuff you need for the stuff that's going to kill you. You know, you can put the band-aids and, you know, the little knickknacks for, you know, a bee sting or a cut or a scrape in another pocket, but the essential stuff you need for, for big trauma battle is going to happen right there. So yeah, it, it is constantly changing. And um, I do, we do as much research now in trauma equipment as we do in firearms and blades and, you know, 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been able to say that or 15 years ago, right. but it, uh, it's, it's really cool to see it. It's really cool to see how good it's become and how fast in the digital age we can get the latest military combat, you know, improvements when it comes to trauma medicine for life-saving, how fast we can get that to the civilian market and to domestic first responders. And it's just, it's a real-time pipeline now. And it's really cool. You've uh, you've hinted a little bit at the new documentary coming out, but uh, what's the deadline or like the timeline on that? Because I think it's going to be uh, super important. It's, it's amazing what you're doing with like the, the Thin Green Line and the Trailblazer series and everything everything you're doing with conservation. And so I, I guess my question is, not only when is it coming out, but 
is there always a fear on your end where it's kind of like, I hope people understand what this message is or like, does it get tiring sometimes where it's like you do this amazing documentary the first time and these problems are still popping up? Like, how do yeah. you, how do you kind of combat that in your head eternally before it comes out to public? You know, that's a discussion I had with my teammates on the Met side just, just a couple of weeks ago. And it's really hard to be optimistic when politics and yeah. current leaders are kind of against you with agendas. Um, Tulsi Gabbard is doing a great job of talking about this right now. And, um, and she's I talking about her. different issues and yeah. she's doing a great job at it. And I think it's so cool what she just came out on Brother Joe's show and said and what she's doing. And I feel like we're doing that to a much lesser audience extent right now is I tell the guys on the Met team, John, I say, look, the law's against you. The politics are against you. You know, basically, we've incentivized cartels from all different areas to come in and decimate the state of California and put poison products all over the country. But you guys can't give up because every grow you bust, you, you save hundreds of thousands of gallons of water, maybe millions of gallons of water. You also prevent that poison product from getting to a handful of people in the Midwest and the East Coast they could get toxically poisoned from that cannabis, or if they're involved in fentanyl, or you might've just stopped in this cannabis grow four or five people that were trafficking children for the sex, for the sex trade. So you made a dent. Did you stop the problem? By no means. Did you even put a big dent in the problem? I'm going to be honest, probably not, but every life you save, every gallon of water you protect, every, you know, mountain lion or black tailed deer that you save, it's a freaking win. You know, it's a freaking win. We don't give up just because we're not winning the war. We continue to fight as long as we can fight. We're never out of the fight until we're out, right? And that's what I kind of say with uh, the Hidden War story, Call Sign Trailblazer, helping Jorge and Sodnik out with the Daily Caller documentary. I care so deeply about people in general and especially in our environment because the woods are my church. You know, that's a saying you've heard me say. You're going to yep. see that from my dad. It's going to come out in the documentary a lot. Um, Jack Carr wrote an amazing foreword for the second edition of Hidden War coming out and quoted that and it floored me. He feels it too. And I don't say that lightly. And we have so little of that left in America to protect. So we got to try. And, you know, fortunately you have a platform. I have a platform. Our bandmates have a platform. The people we're allied with have pretty big reach platforms. Um, and we're going to just continue to put it out there, you know? And when we get guys like, you know, Joe Rogan saying, Hey, I'm part of the thin green line, you know, yep. and this has to be everybody. That's what it's going to take. It's going to take, you know, our, our people at the highest positions of influence and power to make that call. And I see a shift toward that in America right now. And maybe it's not an overt shift, but people are fed up with so much bad policy and bad control. Um, and they're hurting now with gas prices and inflation and crime and, you know, fearing for their children that this fight is all about that. So it all goes hand in hand. So I actually think we're getting more momentum and more steam. And that's how I stay motivated long-windedly to answer your question, brother. Yeah. To keep doing the books and keep talking to groups that want to hear it. Uh, keep working with guys like you and Shine Down, of course, the friendships we have and, and what we're doing professionally in those friendships. Uh, and just keep keep the ball rolling, man, because we, we got to keep on it. We have a great country. We, we have beautiful resources. We have the best reality of freedoms and opportunity. In this nation, and I don't take that lightly. And I know I sound like an old school, you know, uh, cliche, but I believe that. And I know you believe it. 
Yep. And I know yep. all the people that are, that are working their asses off. Everyone we associate with believe it too. And it's not just about being in the limelight. It's not about that. It's not about making a bunch of money. It's about living life to the fullest, being inspired by what you do and seeing people happy yep. around yep. you and facilitating good relationships. I've always said, you know, for me, Success isn't based on the amount of money I make. It, it's based on the joy of experiences I have with good people that my opportunities afford me to do. That's the bottom line. And I think if we all go into life like that and we, we, we work hard for ourselves, but no, we're working for a greater good and we're working for a community and we're working for just a safe, beautiful environment, the United States of America, I think we're, we're going in the right direction. And that's how I stay motivated. No, it's uh, before we kind of end this, I, I want to circle back. I can't stress enough. We all know people in our lives that uh, depression or mental health issues or suicide thoughts or people that are struggling at home that want to get away. I find something to do in conservation as a hobby. It'll change your life, whether it's fishing, yep. hiking, uh, going out in the woods and taking pictures, or even doing yard work for me is some of the best therapy when it comes to raking leaves or cutting the smelling grasses to being cut. Uh, that, that's normally the, the gasoline I'm smelling, but I love the smell of cut grass. <laughs> um, but it's stuff like that where it's like, I don't know how to, if someone, when people ask me like, what do you do to stay sane or like mentally like ready to go? I go, I, I take solace in the outdoors and it's fishing for me. Starting with that with Barry the last couple of months, especially fly fishing. I mean, I cut a puffer fish on a fly in the ocean, which is unheard that was of. Awesome. That and I've never like, seen. And that for me, like the joy in Barry's face and by just like holy hell like this is so crazy but it's like we all have the opportunity to do that get out there and walk barefoot in your yard or go for a hike and it's like how do we get people out there to just do that stuff where it's like you're going to realize within the first time you do it your life is forever changed it, it, it's it's freaking magical you know um i can't stress what you're saying enough and congratulations on that puffer fish on because we're, we're fly fishermen <laughs> up here in montana on yeah. the trout on the big bull trout and different fish and to see a puffer fish on a fly that's so foreign to me not for that environment well, here's the crazy thing too a lot of people go barry made that fly yeah yeah he's making the ocean. it's yeah. like it's we were just like this is the coolest most ridiculous thing yeah it was crazy man on, on the flies. so i i've been tying flies off and on for like 20 years you know my dad and uncle taught me and i haven't been tying for a long time so i kind of been refreshing this year actually right with getting more into trying to spend more time with the relatives as they get older, not going to have them around that much. My mentors. Right. And uh, Barry hit me up on a, on a, you know, we were messaging the other day. He's like, what's your favorite fly? I go, well, it's like a caddis or an Adams, you know, for like cutthroat trout, but I don't really do. I've never really warm water fished fly fishing. He, what's your favorite? He gave me these names and he goes, we should, we should all tie some flies. You, me and John sometime. I said, yeah, let's do it, man. And more importantly, get out in those worlds and throw that fly. And if you're not, you know, if, Fly fishing, as you know, is there's a lot to it. Um, flies are very specific. The gear is very specific. It's not the easiest first method of fishing if you want to just go catch your first fish, but it's kind of a great spiritual way to, to, to gravitate towards if you can. <clears throat> but even if you're just going to do spin casting or use lures or whatever, get out there and try it. Yep. It's amazing wow. to catch your first fish. You can catch and release if you want, you know, with barbless hooks. You can catch and eat a limit. It's great food. It's going into the system. You're not going to take too many fish. Um, but I can say when you get to the point where you're tying your own flies and you use your own flies and then you catch a fish on a fly you tied, for me, it's a, it's, it's a pride point. You know, it's like, hey, dad, my uncle's taught me yep. that. And hey guys, look, I caught, a, I finally caught my first big trout or you've got, you've caught your first, you know, fish off a fly rod this year. And very said, yeah, I use that, you know, that, that yeah. new fly I was tying. So it's a, uh, 
It's super cool. Or, and I always recommend brother is maybe not jump in right away. Just go with somebody that fishes. Yeah. You know, just say, Hey, can I go and watch and hang out? Take pictures. You know, I just want to go hang out and watch how you work the rod and maybe do a couple drills without a fly on the rod. Just see, talk about gear. You know, what waders are you using? What type of tools do you have to have? You know, line lube, all the different things that go into it. Cause like, you know, any sport fly fishing is, Man, it's like, you know, using high-end weapons and hunting gear, you know, there's, there's a science to it. There's a whole culture around it. That isn't just the day you're on the river, or the lake. And that, I think that makes it really fun too. And, and to your point, I love watching people fish, whether it's on YouTube or in person, mm-hmm. like even watching those guys, you go to a dock in like the coastal city, they're out there fishing all day on the city on their cooler. And I, I just, I, I'm happy watching them because I know they're happy what to do. They might not catch the big fish or any fish. Yeah, and, and even when I watched, I went back and rewatched the last season of Meat Eater again, and I I, lo- I love that uh, Steve Rinella, and it was, I recommend that show on Netflix. But not only for that, that type of show, I love watching them hunt. Not if they're some episodes, some of the best episodes on that show where they don't catch anything or hunt, it, they don't kill anything when yeah. they're hunting. But yeah. it's it's the small dialogue, it's the memories, it's the laughs, it's the inside yep. jokes, it's the the gear talk where I'm kind of. It's just human nature to be. I just love seeing people happy doing what they love. And Meteor is a great idea of that. There's some great YouTube channels. I started watching some fly fishermen, but it's just like they learn to do talking to how to do it. They might not catch a single fish, but you know they know what they're talking about, and they're just having a blast preaching about what they love. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, we and I know when we film like a thin green line film and we run it around a conservation thing. Usually we're successful in harvesting an animal and people like that, but that's what we and the yeah, public yeah. don't, they're kind of desensitized to that. That's just a typical hunting show. Right. But when I hear from our pilot episode, we filmed on that, in that Texas ranch, I was just mentioning the big thing that comes out is all your partner, Mark Imsdahl, right? Yeah. Sizzle Imsdahl about, he's going to retire like next week from his service. He'll be up hunting with me. One of my main men unmet when the whole joke started with the outfitters and us about the javelina scratches. And how he's watching, you know, like scratches on cactus because he's so enamored and fixated with shooting a javelina. And now, and our people is we're you know looking for these big rams that are really rare. It's like, dude, they're like feral pigs. Stop worrying about javelina, man. There's a big trophy ram we're going after right now, and say javelina scratches. And so it became this freaking joke that all right. these people respond to, and it's those moments of, you know, the fascination of the outdoors. And the little moments of laughter between real friends and real family and what they get to share out there. And that's what hooks people that aren't into it. Um, And you hinted at this, brother. And I say this all the time. I said, if you ever want to have one of the most unguarded, walls down, open-minded conversations where you're really going to bond with somebody that's completely different from you, complete polar opposites politically, ideologically, fashion, interest, whatever the case may be, politics, you know, lifestyle, go sit, go in the woods, sit in a tree stand together, hike up into an area and look over a big mountain meadow, waiting for a deer or a hog or an elk to come by, go on a, go on a fly fishing trip and, and cast a line together, or just talk while one person fishes or just sit there and watch people fish. I don't think you'll ever have a more pure conversation. And one, let's make sure that you don't have these on or they're off. And, you know, I like when I don't have coverage and man, I'm so blessed that five miles in either direction, when I leave this house later this afternoon to go deer hunt, I'm not going to have cell coverage till I'm back after dark. 
And that is so cool when we have those conversations. Cut the phone off. Don't let the chirp of a text or an email. Don't get into having to look at social media. Just connect. Just converse, you know? And I think that I've not had any better conversations and, and better memories, um, especially with my mentors. And I'm talking about my dad, my uncles primarily, or somebody like Mark, a lifelong hunting buddy or family member, um, than when we're in the woods together, you know? I, I kind of joke that now that I have family relatives around me, you know, on the complex, the compound up here, that we spend so little time actually fishing together anymore, but we're always doing stuff for each other for family business, but it's always quick and passing. And I'm like, hey, uncle, you know what? I'm time flies again. I want to, I want to do more of that with you. And you know what? I just got a whole new fly fishing set, <clears throat> redid my kit because all my stuff was old and busted. Let's get out and just, just throw a line. Let's get out every evening we can, turn the phones off, get out of business and branding and just do it because life's too short, brother. And I know I, I'm going to, and you know, my relatives are up there and I'm going to, I'm going to lose them sooner than later. And uh, you know, that, that reality is start as I get older uh, it's starting to become more and more, you know, more and more proximate how intense that reality is, is and how bad and how hard that loss is going to be. Right. And uh, I often say it doesn't matter how much money you make, how successful you are. The one commodity you can never buy back is time. Yep. You know, and time's a bitch. So yep, it is. We're, we're making it count, man. And, and, uh, but I, I think it's so cool to see you fly fishing and uh, I'm looking for that moment when you, me and the boys get that, oh. uh, get that woods time up here. And I show you some mountain trout action. It's going to be fun. I am so excited for that. We seriously have to do that. Um, but this, uh, this episode has been great, John. Thank you for uh, jumping out here once again and uh, giving your time. And uh, keep doing what you do. Good luck with the second edition launch of Hidden War, which is yeah. awesome. And uh, with the documentary and everything going on, the knives, it's uh, always great talking to you. Always great talking to you, brother. Stay safe. We'll be doing more stuff together. Look forward to seeing you soon. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spear Talk, and I want to talk to you about Nice Fucking Candles. We are lucky to have Nice Fucking Candles as a sponsor of the podcast, and if you use code SPEARTALK15, you get 15% off your first order, or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through Nice Fucking Candles. Nice Fucking Candles are 100% soy wax. They have a 65-hour burn time, maybe more, if you... Uh, nurse the flame a little bit maybe i don't know i'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles but i will say these things burn a long fucking time you ask me about the wick it's a double wick for even burning which is amazing and uh they come in three incredible flavors uh i'm not sure if you're going to be eating these candles but if you do like them the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng tobacco and fireside and seaside and driftwood once again uh nice fucking candles they are the candle company for spirit talk and if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. 
This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.